Hey, Riverside Church, Pastor Dale here. It's Sunday, May the 24th, and I'm so glad that you are joined us online. Thank you for allowing me into your house one more week. Uh, I want to remind you, next Sunday, May the 31st, we will be having online services at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., but we will also be live here in person at 2011 Bolton Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30318. You are all welcome and invited. If you are sick or don't feel comfortable, please do not come. This service will be just for those of us who feel ready to, uh, to partake in worship in a collective environment again. And so we will have that service here at 9 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. We need you to RSVP online. It is super crucial. You can find that link on our website as well as on our Facebook page. So for those of you who, uh, who are ready, sign up RSVP. Let us know you're coming. And we will see you in person next Sunday. For the rest of us, I cannot wait to join you again into your living room next week as well. All right, so we are in Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there or your smartphone, however it is you want to do it, okay? All right, so here we go. Have you ever answered the phone and you hear the voice on the other side say this? I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Which one do you want first? Are you a good news first person or are you a bad news first person? For me, I, it kind of depends on my mood and, and maybe the context of the call. So if I'm, in a, if I'm in good spirits and I can hear a little bit of like positiveness, I might go bad news first, you know, save the good news for last, the best for last. If I'm not feeling so good that day, I'm feeling a little down and out or, or I can hear this is really heavy, I might be like, uh, good news first and let's save the bad for last. What kind of person are you? Are you a good news or are you a bad news first? Well, you know, I, I like this idea because in John chapter 16 and 17, Jesus tells the disciples, he gives them the good news and the bad news. And it's through that story that I want to look at this Romans passage today. If you remember in John 16, I will quickly read it to you. It says this in verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, the good news. In this world, you will also have tribulation, <laughs> the bad news. But I've got some more good news. Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So the good, he's got good news, he's got bad news, and he finishes off with the best news. Jesus has overcome the world. And it's in light of that passage, that story. And remember, that happens the night Jesus gets betrayed. Before the whole world comes against him, he gives the disciples the good news, the bad news, and some more good news. Or you could say maybe even the best news. It's in that context that I want to think about this Romans 12, verse 12 section. Here's Paul's words. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would use this passage this morning to speak to our lives and to change us. God, my heart is that um, as we build on last week's fervency and passion and enthusiasm, that we use the message this week to do something special in us, God, that you would continue to build us and to grow us into your image. God, may we be the fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus had on that day, that we would be kept by you, that we would be protected by you, and that we too would overcome. We love you and we thank you for these things. In Christ's name, amen. So here at Romans chapter 12, 
Paul, as we've been talking about, has been talking about a life of worship. And what does it look like to glorify God? What does it look like to exalt God? What does it look like to, to look like God in this life, in this world? And so Paul has, he's not, he's not under any delusion. It's not an easy task to be a Christian. Paul knows it. In fact, remember, Paul probably remembers the words of Jesus. He's probably in some way recounting, oh yeah, this is a tough world because Jesus gave it to us plain as he could be. You will have trouble. This is not the Christian life that you get married, uh, I'm sorry, you, you get saved and that life is, is all roses from then on out. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a human life. And a human life is, is riddled throughout our, our years with ups and downs. Tribulations will come. And you might even say that we as Christians, when you take on the task of Christianity, take on the task of being a Christ follower, it doesn't get easier. It might get harder. Is it possible the Christian life could get harder and yet be better? I think so. I, I think that's the whole task of the Christian life. I think that's the whole color of it is that even though it is hard, it is great. Even though it's difficult at times, it is the best of times. So, you know, Paul has this idea. He's, he's super aware of the tribulations. He's super aware of the complexities of our world. And yet he challenges us to live a fiery, passionate, enthusiastic life. We talked a little bit about that last week. And the best that I can understand this passage, here's what Paul says, live a fervent life, live a passionate life, live an enthusiastic life. And that leads me to ask this question. How does one do that? And I think Paul gives us three things following that enthusiasm, following the zeal. How you accomplish that is found in the next three things, he says, as we read. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So let's, let's look at those one at a time. Rejoice in hope. <laughs> what an idea. Rejoice in hope. So, so you know, part of me hears those, those three words, rejoice in hope, and I hear in the context that Paul, Paul's sort of inferring, right, by the fact that you, you are focused on the hope means that maybe circumstantially, maybe even on the interior of your mind, the, the, the conversations you have in your head, maybe there's not a whole lot of hope. Maybe the context, the circumstances is a little bit dark, and Paul says, hey, in that, focus on rejoicing in hope. Now, re rejoicing is a, is a peculiar word for me a little bit. I, we don't really use it you know, much today. We might say, I'm gonna give a shout out for someone. Now, we don't say, I'm gonna rejoice so-and-so. Uh, but, but rejoice has sort of a, a deeper meaning than a shout out, right? In fact, the root of rejoice is joy. When I went to look up in a dictionary uh, for, for Bible purposes, it says, if you're gonna look at rejoice, it says, see joy, <laughs> you know? There wasn't even a section for rejoice. It was see joy. And so to rejoice in hope is in some way finding joy in hope. What Paul's saying is that in your darkest hour, in your darkest times, when the world feels like it's coming against you, you've got to have hope. And by the way, it may not just be a hypothetical, the world's coming against you. The world may be actually coming against you. And if it's not the 8 billion people out there, it may just be your world coming against you. And Paul says, you know what? I knew that was coming. I already prepared you for that. Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna rejoice. 
What? <laughs> You're going to find joy in it. I'm looking at Paul right now and I'm going, what? You, so, okay, so I've been betrayed. I'm hurt. I'm, I'm cuddled up in a ball. I'm crying. I feel like everyone and everything is against me. And you're asking me to rejoice? And Paul says, I don't think callously. I don't think coldly. I think with warmth and with tenderness and with, with wisdom. Paul says, yes, 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 it's bleak. Yes, it's bad. Yes, it's not good. And find joy in it. Well, how, 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 Paul, how can I find joy in this moment? Because the joy isn't in the circumstance. The joy isn't in the circumstances or the situations. The joy may not even be something that you internally feel or sense. The joy is in the hope. And here's the hope, by the way. The hope is Jesus overcomes the world. Remember that passage in John 16, I have overcome the world. So his death and his resurrection is more than just a, a miraculous event in that moment. That death, that resurrection, that miracle was the same one that is a miracle today in you. It's the same one that comes into your situation, comes into your life and says, hey, yes, it's dark. Yes, it's bleak. And there's joy in me. How? Why? I'm reminded of Acts chapter 16. I wasn't really going to go here, but I just keep getting drawn to this passage. Uh, let's see here. I've got to find my Bible. Hang with me. It's in Acts chapter 16. Yeah, 16. So let me, let me set the scenario for you. So Paul and Silas are in jail. They're in jail, like, right? Situationally not good. Circumstantially bad. And they're, it says in verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 25, they're praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. So, so it's not good. It's not good. They're in jail. It's bad. I, I, I know, I think sometimes as we as 21st century Christians, we look back and we think, oh, it must have been so cool to be in jail for Jesus. I don't know that they're thinking that. Y you and I know how the story ends, but they're not really too sure, right? Just like for us, sometimes in our darkest hours, we're like, we don't know the uncertainty. We're, we're filled with uncertainty. We don't know the outcome. And so here they are, overwhelmed probably, and in some way, situationally, like kind of like, oh, what's going on here? So they're, so they're taking the same, same task. Paul's words to you is what he does. He starts rejoicing. He starts singing. He starts praising. And check this out. And there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were open, I'm gonna pause there. So there's, there's a couple of things going on here, right? We have, we have uh, I'm sorry, we have Paul and Silas, they're in jail and for them, the situation's not great and begin to praise and sing and all of a sudden, God delivers. And I want you to understand that sometimes in the midst of your darkest hour, God is going to deliver. In fact, God will always deliver, but sometimes it will happen right when you want it and right when you need it. Sometimes in your darkest hour, when the situations are against you, when you're, when you're praying for uh, pregnancy, God's gonna deliver. Or when you're praying for a check, God's gonna deliver. When you're praying for a miracle of your body, God's gonna deliver. Sometimes God in his will and his timing, his perfection 
He delivers right there on the spot. But I don't want you to equate that as a formula that every time you're in tribulation, that if you just praise a little bit, you just sing a little bit, you just pray a little bit, that all of a sudden your miracle is in the next moment. It may not be. But no matter how much time goes by, I want you to know the truth still remains. Jesus overcame the world. And you with Jesus will overcome that tribulation. You will overcome that trial. You will overcome that temptation. You will overcome the circumstance, the situation. You will come overcome the betrayals around your life. You will overcome the hurt and the pain, but you've got to stick with it. We'll get to that in just a moment. I want you to notice the next part. So the prisoner, he wakes up, earthquake happens, He's, he, and, he, and he thinks that all the prisoners have left. He draws a sword, and this is in verse uh, 27. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You see, so the, the, the jailer, he wakes up, right? He's fallen asleep on the job, right? Not, probably not a good sign. The earthquake happens, he sees the doors open, and he panics, and he thinks everyone's left. And what feels like eternity for him, he runs through all the scenarios, right? He runs through, people are gonna find out I was asleep. I'm gonna be embarrassed. I'm gonna be ashamed. They're gonna blame me for everyone getting away and these murderers and criminals, and yes, Paul and Silas as well. It's all on me. It feels like total despair in the moment. And then Paul yells out. He cries out with a loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Don't do it. Don't commit suicide. Don't kill yourself. Here's what I love about that story. You have two people, right? At the, at the, at the end of their ropes, Paul and Silas in prison, worried and overcome, begin to praise and find joy, and, 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 and God delivers them and brings this earthquake. Then there's the, the other, the jailer. He doesn't seem like he has any faith, and he is overwhelmed the darkest moment of his life probably, he's ready to draw out a sword and kill himself. But, but Paul, because of his joy in Jesus, Paul, because he knows God, says, don't do it. We are all here. What seems like eternity is just moments. And the jailer is, he says, life is saved because Paul called out to him, reminded him that we are with you. I think that's a, a pretty real metaphor for us as Christians. I think that for us as believers is that we, we want to we hold tight. Here's the truth. Tribulation's coming. But guess what? It's only for a moment. As my uncle used to say, son, pain is only temporary. Christian, we've got to push through the hardest moments. We've got to rejoice and to praise I, we're, we're like that guy in that movie who gets punched. You know, Satan kind of punches us and we, we kind of, we you know, rub our jaw a little bit and we smile a little bit. Not because we're sadists, not because we're masochists, because we know in the end, this is just for a moment. And in the end, because this is just for a moment, eternity is with Jesus because he is our hope. And so while this is a momentary pain, circumstances are momentarily bleak, I'm reminding you to rejoice in Jesus because in the end, you win. I know you win because God wins. So hang in there. And that hang in there phrase, that's an endurance phrase. 
And so Paul turns our attention. So what we're saying here is to be fervent is to rejoice. To be fervent is to praise a little bit. And that rejoicing, that praising will look like songs. It will look like singing. It will look like dancing. It will look like reminding ourselves in our intellectual capacity and in our heart and our soul that Jesus has overcome. It will look like perseverance. So he says this, be patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. I think of that patience in tribulation as kind of a, a twofold part. I think, I think in part it's, uh, it's sort of the, the patience of enduring the, tri- the tribulation or the or temptation or the trial. It's also like having patience in the tribulation. Uh, maybe that's just a personal thing. I don't know about you, but for me, when there's uh, upheaval in my life and there's circumstantial challenges and there's situational difficulties and there's stress and there's pressure, I can be very impatient. I can be impatient with the outcome, with the end result of it all. I can also be very impatient with those around me. And I can snap and and be mean a little bit. And so I think what I hear in Paul's words is, they'll have patience in the end, have patience for the end, also have patience while in it. Patience looks like, in this section, it looks like endurance. It looks like perseverance. It looks like grit. Another word is forbearance. Forbear, forbearance. Forbearance has kind of a modern connotation, right? Maybe some of you have, have taken forbearance on rent or on your mortgage and where someone has, has, uh, has held back the act of requiring your payment, right? It's what forbearance means for us. But in, in the early uh, uh, use of the word forbearance, it meant, just meant to withhold to hold back. You could hear the forbear. It's almost as if you're standing in front of the bear who's ready to attack and you're holding it back. And as I was processing that imagery of holding back the bear, I was realizing that some of the forbearance of tribulation is holding back the bear, holding back the trial, holding it back and waiting. Hey, wait patiently. I'm gonna hold you back from attacking me. And then I was also thinking about this idea from the sense that I've got to hold back the bear in me. Maybe a more healthy way would not just to, no, it wouldn't just be to hold it and to white knuckle it and to grit it through, but to find healthy modes to practice patience, to practice perseverance. What would it look like? What would healthy patience and perseverance look like? Uh, something that I've been doing lately, journaling. Because I'm realizing that uh, I think for, for a while I've been trying to hold things in and, and not, you know, not in a sort of proverbial hold it in the bottle, but I've sort of seen the virtue of perseverance as, as constraint and as having a tight handle on it. And what I'm coming to realize about myself is I've got to find an outlet. I've got to find a healthy coping mechanism to deal with the traumas, the pain, the stress, the depression, the circumstances, the situations, the disappointments. I've got to find a way, an outlet to cope with that. You see, that coping mechanism gives me the strength to endure. So lately for me, I've been journaling, putting my my thoughts on paper, getting my ideas out, saying what I really want to say and I can't say because out of respect and out of Christianness and out of kindness and appropriateness, out of 
righteousness, but I can definitely write about it, put pen to paper. I can definitely pray about it, complain, so to speak, in the privacy of my own home or in my own office. God, I'm so frustrated. It's a coping mechanism. That's, that's an, an outward act, praying in a way that brings about perseverance, brings about endurance, brings about forbearance. And maybe you're the kind of person that needs to do more than write and more than yell. Maybe you need to grab a pillow and scream real loud into it. Maybe you need to uh, you know, get an, an ax and go to town on a tree. But I'm, I'm just encouraging you, church, that, that patience doesn't always look like stillness. Patience doesn't always look like uh, some sort of like a nun holding her hands like this in a choir. Sometimes patience it looks like endurance. It looks like perseverance. It looks like forbearance. It looks like holding back the bear. And sometimes it has an activity to it, a coping mechanism where you write about it. You sing about it maybe. Or maybe you, you pray and, and talk to God about it. Maybe you, you, you get, get that ax and you chop a tree down or something. I'm just saying find a healthy way to release the bear inside of you. Find a healthy way to release the anger Find a healthy way to release the hurts. I want to encourage you that patience doesn't look like bottling in and boxing up. Patience looks like finding healthy ways to rejoice in the Lord, for he is our hope. Which brings us right into constant in prayer. So we got number one, rejoice in hope. Number two, be patient or enduring or persevering or forbearing in tribulation. And number three, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. As I said, this is part of our coping mechanism. Paul's, Paul's, he's keen to it. He's savvy. He already realizes that when you're in the midst of it, you need to pray. It's important. Look at, look at Jesus as the example in that John chapter 16 passage. Look, he says it. It says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I overcome the world. In other words, this is, this is dark, it's nighttime, it's bad, it's about to get worse. And then it looks, it says in verse 1 of chapter 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that the Son may glorify you. You see, in the midst of Jesus' darkest hours, he's in the garden, and he's gonna have a word with the Father. And some of that word is gonna be rejoicing. Some of that word is, God, you have done it in me, you've exalted me, and I'm gonna glorify you. It's right there in John 17. Look at it, you've gotta read it. But don't miss the model. Jesus is saying with his actions, when the world is coming against you, when your enemies are on your footstep, on your foot, uh, doorstep, and when, when you feel like the whole world is crushing in, find ways to rejoice in the Father through prayer. And I, you know what? I, it's silly. I, maybe it's silly, but I love this. I love that he doesn't, doesn't say he closes his eyes and bows his head. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. We do it often. I did it this, this morning. But I love the fact he looks, he just, he looks God right in the eyes, looks to heaven right in the eyes, and he says, the Father, the hour has come, and I'm ready to glorify you. In other words, Father, here I am. I've got some conversations that we need to have, but, but you should know I intend to endure. 
I intend to glorify. I intend to exalt. And he even says later on, Holy Father. Holy Father. He starts making requests. Requests like keep, keep these guys, guard them, protect them, save the next generation. See, see Jesus is not only praying uh, about the scenario, he's praying to the Father, he's, he's probably venting a little bit, and he's, and he's making a large appeal. And the appeal is, be with my people. And so what we learn in this is that part of our coping in tribulation is, is exalting the Father, is recognizing that he is holy and he is glorified, and recognizing that we're gonna live an ethical and good life that is fervent and passionate because Jesus has overcome and he's with us. So we could carry on and on about praying, but I just, I just wanna just pick at this little pragmatic piece. There's something about praying in the midst of your tribulation that brings joy. That's how Paul sees it. <laughs> he sees them so, so tied together, right? Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. You know what, I'm, you know what I've learned at 41 years of age? That in the darkest moments, they're just that, they're moments. I don't belittle them, I don't demean them or minimize them because like the jailer and those dark moments, it feels like it's awful. They're only moments. And what I've also learned is that no matter how many moments there are, Jesus has overcome them, and you can too. And no matter how many moments there are, it's not that he just overcame them once and, he, and he's like, good luck, it's on you now. And I know some sort of theological way I've overcome it, but you've got to deal with it. Jesus says this, I am in them. In other words, you are not alone. No matter how dark it is for you, no matter how disappointed you are with God, no matter how disappointed you are with yourself, no matter how much shame you carry, how much guilt you carry, I want you to know this day, on behalf of God the Father and His Son Jesus through His Spirit, through my lips, you are not alone. You may be lonely. You may feel like you're in an empty physical space. But trust me, in this moment, God is with you. And one of the beautiful things about that principle of Jesus is with you is that he's not only with you in spirit and in person, he is also with you through us. And so I invite you, wherever you are today, if you're going through the thick of life, I want you to know you can, you can call or text us here at the church or email us or reach out to, to us and our staff. We want you to know that you don't have to be alone in the darkness. I also want you to know you don't have to be alone in your greatness. When life is going awesome and, and when you're really living the, the good life, you don't have to live alone in that as well. Because for some of us, we recognize I don't know about you, some of us recognize, man, I just got it good. And yet something still seems amiss. Even when life is good and it feels amiss, you are not alone. God is with you, and so are we. So if you have a, a need or desire, I encourage you, you can email us at 
info at riversideatlanta.church, or you can text me on my cell phone, 678-995-3738. It'll go to my phone. And let me know how I can pray for you. Help me know how I can walk you through the tribulations and trials you may be feeling. So there's three things that Paul wants us to do. Rejoice in this season. Endure, have patience, forbearance, pushing through, holding back, and, and looking forward to the end of this season. And finally, be constant in prayer. God, I pray that these words would transcend microphones and internets and TVs and computers. That in some ways we would, we would feel and sense your presence that we could live enthusiastic, passionate lives by being rejoiceful, by, being, by practicing patience, and by, by committing ourselves to a constant in prayer. Lord, you are good. Thank you that you overcame the world, and thank you, God, that you didn't live some sort of pristine, you know, pretty cute little life, a white picket fence, but you lived a real life and a gritty life, and you modeled in that life these concepts, that we should rejoice, that we should pray, and most definitely, we should endure. In Jesus' name, amen. One last closing thought. A few weeks ago, Vera Ray and I were in the backyard playing, and uh, I have a 25-foot ladder. It's an extension ladder. It's the real long ones, right? And we're at a tree, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut tree limbs down, but she's starting to play on the, on the ladder, and, and so she climbs up a couple of rungs and comes down, and she does it a few times over, and finally she climbs up four or five rungs, and so she's now taller than me, but, you know, I can still reach her. And I told her, hey, jump jump to daddy. And she, she kind of wanted to, but she was really scared. It flashes me back to a moment when I was in college, and we went cliff jumping. We were on the edge of a cliff. We look over 25, 30 feet down, and there's the river, and we were supposed to jump off into the water. And I was excited there was a lot of me that was scared. And so in that, in that same kind of way, Vera Ray is looking at me, and, and I'm like, come on, baby, I got you. Daddy's got you. And if you, were, if you were at my house that day and you were to watch Vera Ray on the fourth or fifth rung and you would have seen me there, you, you would have probably thought, oh, she's so scared, but, but why? Because you knew, you would know just by visual of seeing me and seeing her, I would never let that kid fall, never. And of course, and particularly in a situation like this where I'm encouraging her to trust me, uh, my whole attention's on her, I'm, I'm focused, I'm dialed in, and I'm ready, and yet she was just nervous. And she said, Dad, I'm scared. And I said, I know you're scared, Vera. Courage isn't being scared. Courage is doing it anyways. So whatever you're scared about, take courage. Rejoice. Fight the good fight of prayer and be patient and endure. This season is only but a moment, for he has overcome. Much love. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends and family about us too. If you are a first-time guest, please visit us online at riversideatlanta.church and on our social media platforms at ATL Riverside on both Instagram and Facebook. 
For our regular attenders, you may still send your tithe and offerings online via our website, riversideatlanta.church, where you can find our donate button on the homepage. Thank you so much for joining us today. Like and subscribe and have a blessed day.